0: most succinct statements and summary of the gospel and the theme of the epistle of romans ever to be found it's in verses 16 and 17 for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god to salvation for everyone who believes for the jew first and also for the greek for in, for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just Shall live by faith. Last week our concentration was on verse sixteen, and um, there was a there's a clause at the end of it that I that I didn't have time to cover. So let me draw your attention back to the end of verse sixteen, where Paul says, "For the Jew first, and also for the Greek." Um, again, his theme has to do with the gospel, and he is saying that this gospel is for the Jew first, and also for the Greek, and this emphasis upon the firstness for Jews, is simply uh, Paul's reference to chronology. Um, This gospel that he preaches was available long before um, the New Testament was written, and interestingly enough, you'll find that uh, his great summary, The Just Shall Live by Faith, is is a quote from an Old Testament passage. That's, of course, out of the book of Habakkuk. So he's simply mentioning that uh, this gospel was indeed available for the Jew first and now also for the Greek. But gang, um, one, of the thing that you, one of the things that you're going to find in the study of the book of Romans, particularly when we get to chapter 2, is that this idea of the, the necessity of the Jew to embrace this gospel is foremost in the mind of the apostle. Uh, the idea among Judaism is that um, uh, we were all, we, we're in great shape, we have the law, we don't need to be hearing this rantings of this vain babbler Paul, and and Paul is determined and uses much of his epistle to convince or to uh, seek to convince that the gospel that he's preaching is as needed for the Jew as much as it is for the Greek. They are in, they are as in great a need of what Paul is preaching here is that any Gentile, any any pagan dog um, that that might need it, the Jew, too, is in great need of this thing that um, uh, that he is preaching. And a huge portion of this of this uh, epistle is devoted to convince them that even though they had great privileges, even though they were in possession of the law, they were as lost and as hopeless as any Gentile. They needed the gospel that Paul so glories in as much as any any Gentile did. And now we come, of course, to this marvelous statement. Um, For in in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, first of all, just uh, look at the first three words. For in it, that is, in this gospel that he's not ashamed of. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For in it. The antecedent of the pronoun it is the gospel. That is, the thing that he's not ashamed of is the gospel because in it, in that gospel, um, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, as we look at this, uh, at this verse, and this will demand all of our attention for the night, um, I want to start by looking at the word Revealed. For in it, that is, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. (laughs) Gang, there is no Christianity apart from Revelation. Now, there is, unfortunately, uh, in the Christian church, some confusion about that word because there's a book in the New Testament um, that's entitled Revelation, And when, 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 when they hear revelation, they immediately begin to think of something apocalyptic or futuristic. But gang, uh, the, the term revelation is simply being used um, for in it is revealed. And if you understand the word reveal, that's all he's saying. Christianity is something that is revealed. The church of Jesus Christ today is in a mess. Because she has sought to substitute something other than what has already been revealed, uh, she tries to figure out how to how to look sophisticated and how to appeal to the, the intelligentsia when ladies and gentlemen our our sole job is simply to understand what has been revealed you know um the name of Albert Schweitzer is a name that I'm sure that you'll recognize. And, and Albert Schweitzer was a great man, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I do not seek to take anything away from his, uh, his um, philanthropy, his uh, benevolence. But uh, Albert Schweitzer, as you may or may not know, wrote a book entitled In Search of the Historical Jesus. He was trying to find the, the Jesus of history as opposed to the Jesus of faith, and I've, I've mentioned that before. But game. my point is simply this. The gospel is not a search. It's an announcement. It's an announcement. It's, it's, a, it's the subject of revelation, not of the book of revelation. It's the subject of something that God has revealed. Um, and, by the way, this revelation... This revelation that announces the gospel was very much um, included in the Old Testament, uh, as you see by him even quoting an Old Testament verse. But first of all, you must understand, ladies and gentlemen, our job is simply to understand what's been revealed. It is not to think up of our own our own ideas or to try and and make it more appealing. It is simply to, to try and come to terms with what has been stated and, and exposed and revealed. Our job, my job, is simply to try and help this become more understandable to the people who long to understand it. Because this gospel is a revealed gospel, it is the, it's the subject of an announcement. Now, What is the content of that revelation? The content of what's being revealed. Notice the text. For in it, this gospel that has been revealed, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Gang, um, you you may not see this at first, but I hope to make it categorically understood. simply understandable, um, do you understand that the gospel that we hold so dear is so utterly different than, than what other gospel may be out there that the cults may possess or, or um, Neo-Orthodoxy might trumpet, and, 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 and its difference is to be found here. This gospel is an announcement of the righteousness of God. Every other gospel, every other competing religion, doesn't start with the righteousness of God. It starts with man. This gospel starts with God. Um, and and I, and I must say, if you cannot see the difference there, then. Um, then then it's very unlikely that you understand the gospel at all. This gospel, ladies and gentlemen, first and foremost, is a proclamation. It is an announcement of the righteousness of God. It is not a request for you to do anything. It is not a, a, a depiction as to how you uh, might... Make, improve yourself. This gospel that Paul is not ashamed of is, a, is, a, is an announcement about the righteousness of God. Um, it is a righteousness that comes from God. It is a righteousness that satisfies God. And it is a righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, that renders men acceptable in the presence of this God, gang. In evangelicalism, um, <laughs> I, I was with a young woman today, and I don't think she—I um, don't think she will mind me telling this part of her story because it was—it was just a delight being with her. But she has just become a Christian, and um, she was trying to describe to her family. She's from an area more northern than Memphis, uh, more further north. Uh, in terms of latitude and longitude, um, but um, uh, she had become a Christian, she had gone home to see her family, and and she said, I found myself trying to explain to my family what had gone on to me, uh, what has happened to me. <laughs> it was so precious. And she said, her family's reply was, well, you sure have moved to the Bible Belt. <laughs> Because, gang, in evangelicalism, the, 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 um, the, the general understanding of what we've got is is that they got some message that tells them how to get forgiven and get into heaven. Well, gang, indeed it does include those things. But, gang, this gospel that Paul is not ashamed of is not designed to make you happy. It's not designed to even trumpet forgiveness. It is not even designed, ladies and gentlemen, to deliver you from hell. What it is designed to do is to answer the question that Job asked millennia ago. And the the question, if you're not familiar with it, found in chapter nine, verse two, is how can a man be right with God? Now, this gospel, is designed to answer that question. How can we ever be right with God and thus be prepared to stand in His presence? No, ladies and gentlemen, what we're holding on to is not because we live in the South and are a part of the Bible Belt. The gospel that we have a hold of is one that has revealed to us the answer to that question. And the answer to that question comes in an understanding of the righteousness of God. The righteousness that he provides, the righteousness that comes from him, and the righteousness that ultimately satisfies the demands that he makes for anybody to ever properly or um, safely stand in his presence. The business of this gospel is to enable us to stand in God's presence. It's a gospel that is designed, ladies and gentlemen, to make us acceptable to God. And if, if your spiritual experience, well, if your, if your understanding of, of Christianity is wrapped up into a spiritual experience, but doesn't equip you to stand before God, you haven't grasped this gospel. Because this gospel is designed to equip you, to ready you, to prepare you, to make you acceptable in the presence of God. And ladies and gentlemen, the thing that allows for that preparation is an understanding of the righteousness of God. <laughs> um, I, I think that one of the reasons that the Christian church is in the mess that she's in is because we, the clergy, the Christian church has failed to to proclaim that gospel. And what we've produced is a, I'm not sure we've produced converted people. We've produced people who have enjoyed some kind of religious experience. But do not understand that this gospel is, the subject of it is, how am I made right? How am I equipped? How am I ever prepared to stand in the presence of God? Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is the question that you all ought to be asking, or that we all should have asked at one time or the other. But how is it that sinners can be made acceptable in the sight of God? Well, ladies and gentlemen, The glory of this gospel is that God's way of solving that problem is to be found in God's righteousness, not not ours. How is a man made acceptable? This gospel states, ladies and gentlemen, that the way that you can be made acceptable has been provided by something that he has done not something that you are asked to do, Um, that that the righteousness that he demands is the righteousness that he provided. And that's why Paul can never be ashamed of that gospel, because in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The expansiveness, the beauty, the, the profundity of the righteousness of god being revealed in the declaration of this gospel and the end result or the content or the end result of that is that we might now we might now be made acceptable or might be properly prepared to stand in this presence now I want to do something with you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to um, is going to give you some theological terms, and some perhaps you've already heard of. They're they're not they're not the best theological terms, very honestly, um, at least in my humble opinion, um, and 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 you'll see why in a moment. But concerning this righteousness of God that has been revealed, um, in theological circles. That righteousness is divided up into two halves. Um, It is. It is divided. This is where. I mean, this is not profound, but uh, I mean, this is the theological language. It's. It's called active obedience. And passive obedience. Now, I'll I'll explain myself in a moment. I love to ask people, um, what must you do to be saved? I love to ask people that. And uh, they say, well, you've got to to believe. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. You have to obey. (laughs) I know that, Jimmy. And then I say, well, um, and and let me ask you this question. How is it that Christ saved you? And they say, well, you know, he, he died on the cross for me. I say, no, 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 no. No, no, he didn't, he didn't save you for, by dying for you. He saved you by living for you. Now, now, I'll clear this up in just a second, at least I hope. I don't want to leave you uh, uh, confused. But ladies and gentlemen, when, when we talk about the righteousness of God being declared, the Gospel is just as interested in righteous demands being met as is the Law of Moses but they're just met differently. In theological circles, when they talk about the active obedience of Christ, what they are referring to, ladies and gentlemen, is the, the, the lifetime, the 33-year lifetime of Jesus Christ that was designed to meet every demand that God ever made on any of us. Um, all of the law kept, all of righteousness fulfilled, Um, everything that would have equipped us to stand in His presence had we done them, He did them. So So the righteous demands that are made by God are met by Christ in what is called His active obedience. Then, the other part of the problem is, even uh, not only did i not come up with the demands that he had i also have violated all of those standards that he set so my guilt has got to also be addressed my shortcomings I, i can't make up for but christ in his life does and then in my failures those are then Addressed, and the debt paid in what is known as his passive obedience and what they're referring to is his passion, is his death on the cross. The reason I don't like the terms is because there's nothing passive about what Jesus Christ did on the cross and why they use the term, I do not know. But, but ladies and gentlemen, here's my point. In this gospel, the righteousness of God is announced. And that's what's being announced. That the righteousness that he demands, he has made available. And the guilt and the shame that accrued because of our violations has been satisfied in in the provisions of his righteousness. This gospel proclaims, ladies and gentlemen, the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes from him, the righteousness that satisfies him, and the righteousness that equips us to to be made acceptable in his sight. And they are both uh, having to do with what Jesus Christ did by living 33 years and never sinning, and by dying and uh, and paying and satisfying, or... um, accomplishing the debt that accrued uh, by our sin. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here comes a little tricky part. (laughs) This righteousness that is proclaimed, um, well, let me give you another word first. Um, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. This is what is being mentioned. And so now, the righteousness necessary for me to ever be made acceptable in God has now been provided by God. And this, this righteousness is now given to me, and the word that is used in theological workbooks is that one, imputed. There is nothing that I can offer. There is no amount of righteousness that I can produce. But this gospel declares that the righteousness of God is revealed. Never, never dreaming, never, never suggesting that any righteousness will ever come from me. But this is the righteousness that becomes mine by imputation. The best illustration I know, ladies and gentlemen, is simply sticking a big check in my checking account. It's not my money, it's your money, but you gave it to me, and now it's in my checking account. It's imputed to me. The righteousness of God is revealed and imputed to me. And then you will notice um, all this perfection in Christ um, is given, is laid, it is put in my account. And in that righteousness, I now stand <coughs> robed. <laughs> That's a word I love. Um, we sing a song. We don't sing it much around here. It's, it's certainly a, a great one. But I, I think, I've, I don't even know, I think I want to say Augustus top lady wrote it. But Jesus, thy blood and righteousness My beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds, in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Did you get that? Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my glory are my beautiful dress. I'm robed in thy blood and his righteousness amidst flaming worlds when, you know, when, when, when things are, when judgment arrives. In these I stand arrayed, and with joy shall I lift up my hand. Oh, isn't that great? This gospel announces, ladies and gentlemen, how it is that you and I might be made acceptable, prepared, and, and and right in the eyes of God. And it is that we go get clothed in the righteousness of another. All of that granted to me by imputation given to me you know ladies and gentlemen one of the problems that exist in evangelicalism is that we don't understand that because every time we blow it and we do and i'm sorry we do and i'm not trying to suggest to you go out and blow it i'm not trying to encourage you to minimize your blowing it every time we blow it we begin to think oh you know how could i possibly be a christian because you know you know i I mean i I could be a christian and do what ladies and gentlemen do you understand that this gospel proclaims a righteousness apart from you you don't get into it because you perform well and you don't get out of it because you perform That's the glory of this gospel, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't start with you. It starts with the righteousness that God makes available. And and guys, that ought to thrill us. (laughs) Let me do one other thing and I'll quit. Um, I I do want to point out, uh, well, let me say this first. Okay, this righteousness that God has, that, it, that this gospel announces, how does that righteousness become mine? Now, and again, did, did you notice that in these two verses, Paul mentions faith four times? Um, actually, he didn't say, he says to salvation for everyone who believes, there's one, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, there's three, two and three, the just shall live by faith. The great confusion among Judaism, of course, is that if I'm ever going to be right with God, I'm going to have to work myself silly in some kind of conformity to his law. And Paul announces four times in two verses that this righteousness is available to all who believe. Now, again here's the little, um, I, um, you know, I teach this systematics class and I I, I get to this place where I'm I'm talking about the about faith, the just shall live by faith. And um, I remember, I think I saw Jerita Duke here tonight. Poor little Jerita. Um, if you're here, my condolences to you. I, I really just mangled her one day, um, but she was in my class, and this happens every class. And um, I, you know, I, I if you've ever taken that class, I love it. I mean, I love to get into it and, you know, every now and then the women get nosebleeds from the, um, from the force of the, uh, the sound, I guess. But anyway, um, I, I love to ask, okay, tell me, ladies, tell me, ladies and gentlemen, what is the grounds upon which God will accept you into his presence? <laughs> and invariably, somebody says, "faith." And on this occasion, I um, I pointed out that that was incorrect. <laughs> um, <clears throat> with with some measure of drama. <laughs> no. No! The grounds by which God accepts any of us is not our faith. That, ladies and gentlemen, is called fatalism. Faith in faith. The grounds upon which God accepts any of us the merits of His Son, the active and passive obedience of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. And on that merit, on that foundation, on that firm footing, He can now accept us. Faith is the instrument, the instrument by which I lay hold of the merits of another. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's not my faith that saved me. It is my works. Actually, they weren't mine. They were his! I just get credit for them all. And and it is by faith, it's it's the thing that joins me to Christ. Now, let me real quickly answer in five minutes what is faith? What is this? And, and gang, you know that I, I, um, I always make a distinction. This is a slipshod church here, I'm telling you. Uh, we're just a poor struggling church. Uh, uh, faith versus saving faith. Um, um, I, I always use this term because this one is so, um, it's, just, it's just been used so much it's devoid of meaning. Um, the, the demons believe, ladies and gentlemen, the whole world believes in something. What I'm talking about is this stuff, this saving faith. What is it? Well, let me tell you quickly what it isn't. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, saving faith is the opposite of everything legalistic. Now, th- th- this is, a, this is a, a fine distinction and we'll, we'll talk about it later, but it is not the opposite of law. But it is the opposite of everything legalistic. It is the opposite of everything meritorious in man. It is the opposite of everything of worthiness of man. Now, if if the negation can help you, it's the opposite of all that. Anything that pleads merit, anything that pleads worth, anything that pleads legal obedience, it's the opposite of that. Um, and this faith that saves or that the just shall live by, number one, to state it positively, it is a gift for by grace you have been saved through faith and that of yourselves. it is the gift of God. Um, it is the 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 way that I love to but i you know I even hesitate to give you this because this is so uh unsophisticated, but maybe it will help some. Faith is the transfer of trust. That's just the way I best explain it. Others could explain it better, I'm sure. It's simply the, the point at which I realized that I was trusting in my own merit to do something to make me acceptable to God. And I discovered that nothing I did would, would, would make me right before God. So I stopped trusting the wrong thing, and I started to trust the right thing. And that right thing was the righteousness of God provided for me in Christ. So I, I stopped trusting an idol. I don't know about y'all. For me, my idol was me. I I, I did claim merit. I did claim worthiness. I looked around me and I saw all the other rotten people and I thought, you know, compared to them, I'm pretty good. Um, I never will forget, ladies and gentlemen, when Jim Kennedy walked into my apartment that night and and, uh, asked me those two questions. And he said, when you stand before God, and he didn't ask it like this, but, when you stand before God, what do you think will make you right before him? And I said, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember using the word, earn. I promoted merit, I promoted worth, I promoted productivity, I promoted performance. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a false gospel. And that one is one that brings shame and it brings destruction. This one is the one that declares and reveals the righteousness of God for sinners like me and says, the just shall live by faith. What a gospel. those of you who um, have responsibilities or uh, meetings to go to, why don't you uh, dismiss yourself now? And having done that, I'll lead us in prayer. Our Father, so many of us remember the time that um, we didn't understand, and we, like uh, countless myriads of myriads of myriads, understood religion to encourage human merit and human effort and human striving. And then somebody told us that the just shall live by faith. They told us that this gospel was to everyone who believes. They told us that it was to the Jew first and then to the Greek, from faith to faith. And the emphasis was not on something that we did, but something that you did. A righteousness that came from heaven and a righteousness that satisfies heaven and we get it, because of the merits of a a Savior. We get pronounced right as we stand clothed in His righteousness. Father, um, it seems to me that the majority of the world misses that simple point that the just shall live by faith. Oh God, use this humble church to tell as many as before we all die, to tell as many as we can tell that human merit is not what heaven demands. It is simply a laying hold of what heaven provided for us in Christ. And for all of us, O God, who understand it, some of us understand it for 20 years, some of us understand it for 20 days, but, oh, how glad we are that you in kindness opened our eyes to see that our righteousness in your sight was as a filthy rag, but the righteousness of your Son is that which equips us to stand safely in your presence. Father, Paul's not ashamed of that gospel, and neither are we. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, guys.